Welcome and thank you for downloading the Trinity Now podcast, recorded live from Trinity Church of Weston Chapel. For more information about Trinity Church, please visit us online at trinitychurchnow.com. Now, filling in for Pastor Dave, let's join Pastor Justin. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. The scripture says, Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out thirty pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, uh, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, how it speaks to our hearts, God. Even, even the parts that maybe uh, we don't study as often, Lord, they hold so much wonderful uh, information and teaching for our lives. And I pray right now uh, that your words would be clear, that I would get out of the way so that you can speak to your congregation this morning. We love you, praise in your name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Um, and so, this morning, uh, we are two weeks away uh, from Easter Sunday morning, and um, we're a week away from Palm Sunday and a wonderful cantata, and, you know, and the things are bright, spring is, uh, is sprung, let's be honest, uh, it's hot enough to be summer, so spring must be here. And so I was thinking about, you know, what, what would God want me to share with you this morning? And I was anticipating something really bright and cheery and happy, and I settled on Judas. Um, kind of the antithesis of bright and cheery and happy, uh, but nonetheless an important part of the Easter story. Uh, the last couple of weeks, Pastor Dave has been uh, preaching a, a road to resurrection. We've been talking about uh, events and, and people uh, who played a big part leading up to the resurrection of Christ, which we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Uh, and there may be no character other than Christ as important to this story as Judas Iscariot. In fact, he plays a critical role. Uh, but for many reasons, and, and most of them completely normal, uh, he is not someone we like to talk about a lot. Uh, he is the betrayer of Christ, one of his close followers who decided to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. Yet without Judas, without his actions, without his selfishness, the story would look remarkably different. And so we need to understand his role and we need to understand who he was. And so uh, this morning we are studying a biography of a betrayer, a biography of a betrayer in Judas Iscariot. And so Judas uh, was one of the twelve original uh, disciples. Um, his last name, uh, Iscariot, is, uh, is either an amalgamation or a mispronunciation of Sicari, uh, which was a, uh, a zealot group in Israel a political group uh, who often used force 
as a tactic to get change. There was one other disciple who was called a zealot. Uh, that would be Simon. Uh, how many of you remember the Living Lord's Supper here last year? You remember that? Wonderful, wonderful. Um, and so Simon the zealot, he sits on the very end, played by Mr. Andy Palmer. Um, and, and Judas, uh, of course, clutching the money bag on the side, played by our, our dear uh, friend Bill Davis. Uh, and so they were the two known as zealots. They come from a political background. Okay? This is important to know because the political background is going to shape how they view Christ and his mission. They were already fighting for independence from Rome before they ever met Jesus. None of the other 12 disciples were. They were men of simple backgrounds. Or even if they were advanced educationally, they were not, as far as we know, advanced politically. And so this informs every decision that Judas makes. Uh, He is a political uh, activist before he becomes a disciple. Uh, It's also interesting to know uh, that whenever there is a list of disciples in the New Testament, Judas is always listed last. Okay? This is done mostly symbolically. There was nothing necessarily about Judas before his betrayal that would uh, necessitate or or, um, have him be listed last. Uh, It's due, uh, because remember these these scriptures are written after the events took place, um, usually many decades after. Uh, It's a story that's been told, and so because they knew what was coming, they did not give him the honor of being listed last. In the first 11, they always listed him last. Um, I, I told you a little bit about the Sicarii. Uh, the Sicarii were basically uh, a terrorist organization. That's what they were. Um, they were prominent uh, a little bit after Jesus' time. They were prominent around 50 to 60, uh, what's known as Common Era, uh, formerly known as A.D., uh, and it became really prominent around 70 A.D. Uh, and so whether or not he was a part of that group is not necessarily known, uh, is, as he predated it by a good bit. But remember, the authors of these who are naming him, giving him this last name, are familiar with the Sicarii uh, and probably got the amalgamation of Iscariot from Sicarii because they understood that's how Judas was. Does that make sense? Am I confusing anyone there? We got that, okay? All right, and so um, they often carry daggers. Uh, the name Sakari translates to dagger men, uh, and they were willing to kill for their political beliefs. Also about Judas, he was the only Judean among the disciples. Uh, he was the local guy among the disciples, um, which it carries uh, some interesting weight uh, in how he looks at things. Um, we all know that Judas uh, betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, they might have looked something like this, uh, 30 pieces of silver. Um, but we don't necessarily know how that translates into today's money. Okay? There's two ways to look at this. You could just weigh out the silver and say what that would be worth today. And the price of silver has, has gone up considerably. So if you just weighed out the silver and kind of guess what that would be, that would be about $700. Okay? About 10 years ago, it would have been $200. Okay? Um, or you can go on the buying power of the silver in that day compared to buying power today, which is a more accurate gauge. And then we get the number $25,000. 
It was about half a year's wage for a skilled craftsman. So we'll estimate that right around $25,000. It's a lot different than seven hundred dollars or two hundred, dollars granted. Uh, but still, the price to sell out your Lord and Savior at $25,000. And so uh, that was the amount of money, uh, roughly, uh, that Judas received for that act. Um, Judas was put in charge of the finances of the apostles. Uh, he was the banker, for lack of a better term, the cash man. Uh, and he had a pretty nasty habit uh, of skimming off the top, as we learn in John. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John, chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. And, uh, and we'll see there that the Judas, even as an apostle here, is not exactly acting rightly. John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. They say this, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Uh, and so we see that the Judas's uh, actions don't necessarily belie a true follower of Christ. He's, he's skimming off the top here uh, from what was a, a rather successful uh, ministry. In Scripture, Judas only refers to Jesus as teacher or mentor, never as Lord as the other disciples do. Um, that's not a translation issue. That's a different Hebrew word that was used uh, to mean teacher instead of Lord, which is interesting uh, as, as far as that goes. So, uh, so there's a little background on Judas. Let's talk about his story a little bit. And I really believe uh, his story begins right there uh, where we talked about um, John chapter 12. Uh, because we just get off of the story of, of Mary coming in and washing Jesus' feet with the, the anointed oil. Uh, we, we get that story, and, uh, and Jesus is coming to the house, and, uh, and she's crying, and, and she takes out this, this valuable oil, and she pours it over his feet, and she washes his feet. And Jesus, of course, is, is humbled by this. He's thankful for this. This is a wonderful sign of devotion to Jesus and of love for him. And this is when Judas speaks up. And uh, maybe we see him be a little too bold here with Jesus. He says, Jesus, why in the world did she not sell that and we could have used the money for the poor? Now forget for a second by for the poor, he means in my own pocket. Forget about that for a second. His argument to Jesus was we could have used the money to help the poor. This is a church finance argument. <laughs> Got real quiet for a second. This is a church finance argument. This is one person on the committee saying we should use this money in missions, and another person on the committee saying we should use this money to worship God. Okay? When you look at it from that perspective, it's a little different. Now, Jesus in, in no way says we shouldn't help spend money on missions. He, says, he doesn't say giving to the poor is bad. He says nothing like that. He says that he is thankful for this woman's sacrifice, that she has honored him through her actions. That's what he says. 
So when we look at it in that perspective of we should have spent the money here, we should have spent the money here, Jesus just said, I am thankful for her gift and her sacrifice. I think a lot of times when we look at finances in the church, we, we argue over what goes where and how much goes here, and you know, we kind of try to divide the pie up in all the appropriate slices, and, and Christ just wants us to honor him with our finances. He wants us to give and, and honor him with our finances and be good stewards of how we spend it. He's not as concerned with how much goes where and how we divide the pie. But that's Judas's argument. He says, well, we could have given this to the poor. And Jesus comes back at him. He rebukes him a little bit. He kind of says, Judas, you're wrong. Be quiet. Now, he can do that. He's Jesus. Okay? If the pastor tries to do that, he's in hot water. All right? But, but Jesus can do it. He's Jesus. And he says, no, Judas, you're wrong. That's not how that works. I'm sorry. Well, Judas gets upset by this. It's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. Because now Judas is gone, and he goes to the chief priests to betray Christ. Now, this isn't the first straw for Judas. Remember, Judas had a political background. Judas wanted the Messiah to be someone who rode in on a white horse, who raised uh, up an army against the Romans, defeated them, and created the Jewish kingdom on earth. That's what Judas wanted. He was political. That's what he was aiming for before Christ ever showed up. Well, Jesus first shows up, and he's talking about establishing his kingdom on earth, and Judas is super excited. I mean, he's buying in. He's like, I like what this guy's selling, and he follows him. And Jesus uh, then kind of transitions to talking about how he's going to have to sacrifice. He's going to have to die... He's going to die to establish his kingdom. Now, Judas is kind of backing off a little bit. He says, no, 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 that's not, that's not what we bought in for. We're here to conquer. But we know that Jesus wasn't here to conquer through might. He was meek. He was here to conquer through service, through love. And it began to separate, Judas began to separate himself from what Jesus was teaching because it wasn't his political ideal. Everything was great for Judas when... Jesus fit into what he wanted. As soon as Jesus began to stray from what Judas's idea was of the Messiah, Judas started to stray from following the Messiah. And we get to the point where he is rebuked with the woman in the oil, and that's it. He's had enough. He goes and sees the chief priests. In the book of Matthew, uh, he, he sees the chief priests, and, and this is important to know because uh, the chief priests don't offer him anything. Um, they had been trying to capture Jesus for a while. They just needed to do it in a way that wouldn't draw a lot of attention because Jesus was really popular. Okay? He was very popular. He was like Justin Bieber or, um, wow, did I really say that? Um, <laughs> forgive me, please. That was, but now he, he had a lot of popularity. Okay, people wanted to be around him. The, the people loved him, and so they were trying to find a way to take care of this, but not in the public. And so Judas, uh, he probably got wind of this. He shows up to the high priest and he says, "I will do this if you will give me money." He was not coerced. He didn't have to be negotiated with. The chief priest didn't have to say, please, please, Judas, do this. They didn't have to infiltrate Jesus' camp and find somebody. 
he went to them willingly and said, if you give me money, I will give you Jesus. I need you to know that. He acted on his own accord to do this. There was no coercion. There was no nothing. It was his decision. And the chief priests are are more than glad to hand over a, a large sum of money to him for this act. And then we see where Satan enters in. Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6, says this, And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him apart from the crowd. Satan enters into Judas to carry out what is going to be a turning point in this salvation story, this, this uh, resurrection story. It's going to be the point where Jesus goes from um, free and teacher to arrested and sentenced to die. And it's important to know here that Judas acted on his own volition to go to the chief priests, but the act was perpetrated by Satan entering into Judas. So there's two things you need to know here. Judas, is he responsible? Yes. He acted on his own volition to do this. And because he was a willing vessel, Satan entered him and did what Satan was going to do. You need to understand those two things. Was it Judas? Yes. Was it Satan? Yes. They're both culpable. And so Judas begins looking for a time where he can betray Christ. And so uh, he goes back and he spends time with these people. He goes back and he's spending, uh, they're going and they're still ministering. They're going and they're preparing for the feast. He's around these people who he knows he's going to betray. He's around Jesus who he knows he's about to sentence to die, essentially. And he knows this and he goes and spends time with him. Awkward, (laughs) right? I mean, that's crazy. But he did it. And and he was looking for a time where it would be under the cover of night where he could betray Jesus. Judas was there at the Last Supper with Jesus and the other 11. And he left from there to go gather the guards to come and arrest Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas identified Jesus to the authorities by kissing him. Now, uh, the reason he did this is is really a practical one uh, as much as a symbolic one. Judas did this because it was dark. Dark here and dark there are very different things. When it's dark here, there's a neighbor with a light still on, right? And you can still see somewhat. Imagine being in a garden... Before electric light, it would be very hard to see. Also, these authorities knew of Jesus more than they knew exactly who Jesus was. So it was important for them to get the right guy and not a decoy. And so Judas clearly walked up, he kissed Jesus, and that was the guard's signal to know whom to arrest. Uh, And so they took Jesus from there, and he was arrested, and we know he had the the sham of a trial, uh, and he was uh, sent to die on the cross. Now, after doing the deed, uh, Judas is filled with enormous guilt. All right, Scripture tells us he attempts to return the money 
the, uh, the chief priest refuse it, saying, nah, a deal's a deal, you know, he, you earned it, you keep it. Uh, and so he attempts to return the money, that's unsuccessful, uh, and he eventually ends up taking his own life out of guilt. Um, but the story of Jesus doesn't end there. You see, Jesus conquers death, even death on a cross. He rises from the dead on a resurrection Sunday. And, and after his resurrection, before he ascends back into heaven, he speaks of Judas and the role that Judas played in the story. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Acts chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. It says, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the, uh, with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field was called Hekeldama, uh, that is, field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. And Judas was replaced in the disciples by Matthias, or Matthew the second. So this is the story of Judas. It's not a happy story. It's, it's not a story that we love to reflect on, and we're going to talk about around meals, and and cherish deep in our hearts. It's a story of a man who turned against the Savior of the world. Unfortunately, it's also not a rare story. It's not an uncommon story. The story of people who hear the message of Jesus and reject him is a very common story. It's an all-too-common story. And so, what can we learn... From this story of Judas, what can we take from it that will help us in the future? Well, here's my key takeaway number one. Key takeaway number one. Judas' idea of a Messiah did not match who Christ was. And ultimately the reason, and it was ultimately the reason that Judas could not follow Christ. Judas had a preconceived idea of who Jesus should be. And when Jesus didn't match that idea, Judas got out of there. Okay? Uh, here's the key application. That was the takeaway. Here's the application. Follow the Jesus Christ of the Bible, not the Jesus Christ that we construct through our preferences. I, I had a background. My background is in uh, religious studies at the University of South Florida, uh, where they study religion from... A, uh, a scholarly approach. It's certainly not Bible study class, okay? I once had a professor who uh, said he laughed at all Christians because they were stupid and naive. First day of class. And I sat there and I said, this is going to be a long one. Um, but I made it through. And so in that, uh, in that study, not in that particular class, but in that form of study, one of the things professors are fond of saying uh, is sort of a reverse on what we know scripturally. Uh, we know that God made man in his image. Uh, religious professors are, are constantly saying, man makes God in his own image. The implication being that we, as people, have the tendency to want God to look and think and act like us, personally. 
And which is why when you ask someone about God, depending on their personality, you're going to get very different answers. If I ask the hippie about God, he's going to tell me about peace, love, and happiness, man. He's going to say, God's about love. God's about peace. God's, you know, God's arms are wide open. And you know what? That's true. And if I ask somebody completely different on the spectrum, they're going to tell me that God is just. That God will have his vengeance. They'll tell me the God of the Old Testament who, who uh, would smite armies. Uh, who would raise up armies to attack others. They're, and they're going to be right in an aspect. But you're going to tell me different parts of God. Here's what you need to know. Christ is Christ. He is who he is. He is who is described in the scripture. Anything that you want to ascribe to him outside of scripture is you. And that is not a part of Christ. Do not follow the Christ that you created. Follow the Christ that exists in Scripture. That's the true Christ. That's the one with true teachings. It's going to lead us in the right direction. And so we need to follow Christ that's in Scripture, not the Christ of our own making. All right? Key takeaway number two. When following Christ came at a crossroads with Judas' political viewpoint, he chose politics over Christ. He chose politics over Christ. When Christ didn't match what he wanted politically, he said, you know what? What I want politically is more important than following Christ. I choose politics. Okay? Now some of you are are immediately reacting to, how could you choose politics? I hate politics. All right? And I really don't like politicians. Okay? Maybe that's some of you. But I would suggest this is not an uncommon occurrence at all. That many of us, when we come to a crossroads of what Christ tells us and what we agree with politically, we lean with what we agree with politically. Um, you know, to Judas, the Messiah was a political powerhouse wielding might and popularity to achieve success. Only Christ was apolitical. He chose not to exclude and he chose truth and honesty over rhetoric. Here's our application. Our devotion to Christ must, become, must come above our political ideals. And this is where I flirt with getting fired. I'm just going to tell you straight up. To my more right-leaning friends, Christ was certainly not a capitalist. He did not support big business, and in the vast majority of ways was a complete pacifist. To my more left-leaning friends, Christ loved people more than anyone ever, yet he never taught tolerance. In his ministry, he affirmed the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. Now, it's very quiet in here. And I know some of you, your blood is boiling a little bit. You're a little more upset now than about anything you've ever heard in a church service before. Okay? Here's what I need you to know. If you care more deeply about being right in your views politically than you do about following Christ, your priorities are out of bounds. You need to switch that. And here's a short rant for you that I'm sure will get me in a lot of trouble. Please do not use Scripture to try to win your political arguments. Let Scripture be what it is, a tool to learn 
a tool to study, a tool to grow closer to Christ. Don't bring it into anything hateful. Don't bring it into any arguments. Let it stand on its own for what it is. Encourage people. Love people. It's a sword to fight sin. It's not a sword to fight other people. Am I still employed? Yes. Okay. All right. Not for long. Not for long. All right. Key takeaway number three. Judas saw firsthand all the work Christ was doing, yet, because of his stubbornness and selfishness, would not accept Christ as the Messiah. I think here we come to the part that I think a lot of us have a hard time believing. Um, Faith is hard. There's no doubt about this. Faith is hard. Believing in something that you cannot see, that's difficult. Uh, believing in something you can't interact with is even harder. I can't see gravity, yet I know I fall down, okay? I, I get that. It acts on me. And, and so faith can be tough. But some of us have the sentiment sometimes, hey, if I was just around Jesus, I mean, if I was just walking with Jesus and I saw him turn the water to wine, I saw him heal the leper, I saw all this stuff, I heard him teach, man, it'd be easy to follow Jesus then. Yet here we have a guy who saw all of it, there for every bit of it, and he rejected Christ. Rejected Christ. So if you're saying, well, well, it, it's harder on us today to have faith because we don't get to see those things. I, I want to tell you that, that faith's always been hard and it's always going to be hard. That's why it's a quality we need to strive for. But don't count seeing as helping your faith. Judas saw everything, and he rejected Christ out of hand. He rejected Christ so much that he turned him in to be killed. You know, if, here's the key uh, application for this. If you are here today, I don't want you to be able to say you don't know what Jesus did for you. I don't want you to be able to say, well... I have this plausible deniability. I don't really know. No one's ever really told me. Because I'm going to tell you right now. Jesus was born of a virgin. He grew up. He lived a sinless life. He taught others about love, about peace, about following him, about trusting God. He grew up and, and he had this guy, Judas, who betrayed him. And he died willingly on a cross. They killed him. He was dead. Everyone understand that? This isn't some sort of metaphysical trickery. He was dead. They buried him. They rolled a huge stone in front of the door. And three days later, just like he said he would, he came back and he defeated death. He was alive. He was alive. And when they asked him, why did you do this? He did this because he knew your punishment was death. When we fail God, when we fail the standard that he sets, we are sentenced to a punishment of death. That's what sin is. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages, what you get for sin, congratulations, you get death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Jesus paid that for us. And the only deal that you have to agree to, the only thing that you have to do to have that gift is to accept it. 
That's how easy it is. How do you accept it? You fall on your knees before God and you tell him genuinely with all of your heart that you believe he is who he says he is, he did what he said he did, and you want his gift of salvation. That's what you do. And now that you're in this room, now that you're listening at your computer or on your tablet, and you have heard this, and you have heard this message, I need to tell you something. You have no more deniability. You're not going to be able to, to, to die or, or have Jesus come back and say, I didn't know. That's out the window for you. You know. You're just like Judas. You know. You know the truth. And now it comes down to how you're going to respond. If you respond by accepting God's gift of salvation, congratulations. Just like Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. One day when you pass, when he comes back, you're going to be with him in paradise. If you choose to say, eh, not right now. Eh, let me see a little more. You know, maybe let me think on it. That's a rejection. You know, sometimes people say, well, it's not a rejection. I just don't know yet. Um, Let me put it in in terms I know you're going to understand. When you go to ask someone on a date, and and I walk up to someone, and I'm married. I wouldn't do this anymore, okay? All right, just to clarify. But, you know, in my single days, I go up to ask someone on a date, and I I go to a girl, I say, hi, how are you? My name is Justin. Hey, great, great. Um, You want to go... You want to go out on a date? You want to go get coffee sometime? And they say, let me do a little more research. I don't think I'm ready to do that quite yet. You know, give me another 30 years. Right before I'm going to die, we'll go on that date. Have I been rejected? Yes. If we do that to Christ, we're rejecting him just as much as we told him no, spat in his face, and sold him for 30 silver coins. You've heard. You've heard the message. If you choose to reject Christ, you're not a whole lot different than Judas. I don't want you to. I want you to accept Christ. I want you to accept his gift of salvation. I want you to understand that he loves you so much. He died for you. And he wants you to be his. So here's what we're going to do. Real simple. I'm just going to pray over you. If you want to make that commitment today, accept Christ today. While I'm praying, just slip your hand up. I'll be glad to see you. I'll come talk to you after service. And then we'll end with our closing song. We'll go eat a wonderful ham dinner. It'll be fantastic. But I need you all to know you've heard. There's no more denying. How are you going to respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much once again for us being in this place here today. God, I pray that your message would clearly speak to these hearts. Lord, for those who are already Christians, Lord, I pray right now that they are praying for their neighbors, their brothers and sisters, the other people in this room who have not made that decision. And God, for those who have not made that decision, Lord, I pray that they would understand the moment they're in right now. Is it possible they could make a decision 30 years from now? It's possible, but we don't know. And rejecting you until that point is still a rejection. 
God, I pray that they would decide today to follow you, to believe it in their heart, and live it out in their lives. So God, I pray right now over these people, if there is anyone in here this morning who that is in their heart, they want to make that decision, Lord, I ask that you would just give them the boldness and the courage to raise their hand right now. Just the boldness and the courage to say, I want to follow Christ this morning. If that's you, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would follow Christ boldly, not be afraid. You have heard, there's no going back. God, I thank you so much for those who are here today. I thank you uh, for their dedication to be here and hear your word. And I pray that it would not come up void. Lord, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Now podcast. For more information about Trinity Church, please visit us online at trinitychurchnow.com. We hope today's sermon has touched your heart, and we hope you will join us next week for another message from God's Word.